1 Peter chapter 5 and can be found on the Church Bibles in front of you on page 1220. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Thank you, Judith. I'd like you to um, just be quiet for, say, about 45 seconds or so, and uh, think of a Christian leader who's really influenced your life greatly. Pick just one. And then I'd like you to work out why you've picked that person and then turn that into a silent prayer of thanksgiving to God for their influence on your life. Well, I'm sure for most of us, the things that we thank God for uh, are things like their character, uh, what they're like. I thank God for a guy called Mark Ashton, and he was the curious at the church where Anna and I became Christians and I thank God for things like the fact he had a Bible in his car and another one in his living room and Bible verse cards in his loo and then uh, when a a friend and I when we were probably 16 or so Mark Mark invited us for lunch and you may have heard this I'm sure I've said it before uh, and we said as arrogant 16 year olds do yeah we'll come if we can have roast duck we did He cooked us roast duck, and I can still remember the sprouts. I think they were still frozen, and uh, they were uh, rather more like ball bearings than sprouts, I think. But I remember Mark and what he was like, and his willingness to do that, and the extraordinary influence he had not just on my life, but on many, many people's lives. Now, this evening, we're in 1 Peter and chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And we're thinking about leadership, and that's for all of us, because as Bill Hybels uh, said, the guy who's, uh, this American guy who's uh, um, a great guy on leadership, extraordinary things at Willow Creek Church in Chicago, um, he says, a le- when a leader gets better, everyone wins. When a leader gets better, everyone wins. So you may be thinking this evening, there's not much, not, there's not much point in me being here because I'm not a leader. But actually, there's every point in you being here this evening. You may not be a leader now. You may be a leader in the future. And also, you get the leaders you deserve in many ways. So actually, you can influence leaders. Tonight, we'll help you know what to pray for your leaders. Tonight, we'll help you to know how to encourage your leaders here. How to maybe challenge us. How to help us to become better leaders. And then, when a leader gets better, everyone wins. So for this evening, please don't switch off because it's about leadership. This, inf- this is something that is actually for you. And we're thinking particularly, as we turn to 1 Peter 5, 1-4, we are thinking particularly about slightly better leaders. 
Now, you may think, well, that's a bit disappointing. I mean, surely, Phil, we could have had something like amazingly better leaders or something like that. Uh, But let's be realistic. I've been praying as a result of this evening that some of us who are leaders will become slightly better leaders. The next step in becoming better leaders. Uh, And that if we're not leaders, that tonight will help us be able to do maybe just one thing or maybe a couple of things which will help those of us who are leaders to become slightly better leaders leaders. And that's achievable, isn't it? Don't you think? That if we're thinking, you know, the next step, or maybe the next couple of steps, that's achievable, that's realistic. And uh, we can pray confidently, can't we, that we can have slightly better leaders as a result of the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Well, I'm confident we can pray that, so uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer to that end. So let's pray now. Father, we pray that as we look at these, just these four verses, beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5, that this would help us in this church and in other places that we're part of to, to have slightly better leaders. Whether we're leaders now, whether we're leaders in the future, whether we'll perhaps never be leaders, but actually we've got a huge role to play in encouraging and challenging and spurring on and praying for our leaders. We pray, Lord, it would have that impact tonight and that we may become and have here slightly better leaders, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, slightly better leaders. Four things I think we've all got to remember if we're going to have slightly better leaders. And the first one is this. Remember the context. Now, there are t- that is the context of leadership, okay? Now, there are two things particularly that are happening here in these first few verses. Two things that we've got to think about. The first is the cross, and the second one is the coming, or Jesus' second coming, his return to this earth. We look back to the cross, we look ahead to the coming, and that is the context of Christian leadership that he's talking about here. You look in verse 1. The elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, so focused on the cross there, uh, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. That's when Jesus comes, the coming. And then in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, that's talking about Jesus' return, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the context of all Christian leadership is on the one hand looking back to the cross, and on the other hand looking ahead to the coming. So looking back to the cross and looking ahead to the coming. And both sets our leadership in context. Because Christian leaders follow Jesus and we want to lead like Jesus. And the cross tells us more and better than anything else what Jesus was like. So if we, and, uh, so let's have a look. So the cross, first of all. Now look at verse 1. Why do you think he says that? the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, and then he says this, and the witness of Christ's sufferings. Why does he say that? Because Jesus' sufferings are foundational for our leadership. Jesus suffered, he served, he sacrificed, he was that kind of leader. And that is meant to be not just for us an example, but it's meant to be an imperative for us to follow that example as well. Um, uh, when we think of leadership, we often, don't we, we think of someone who's strong and flamboyant and loud and outgoing personality, who knows where they're going and what it takes to get others to go with them and so on. Um, uh, and the leaders of the world, the leader of the world, the one through whom the world was created, the one who now sits on the throne of the universe, was a leader who suffered and who served and who sacrificed. 
That is the model for all Christian leadership. We'll come back to that. But first note, that is the first context of our leadership. We look back to the cross. And the second one is, we look ahead to the coming. So the end there, uh, as he says at the end of verse 1, will share in the glory to be revealed. When Jesus returns, we will be with him. Christian people will be with him in glory. We will share in that glory with Jesus. And in verse 4, Jesus is called the sheep chief shepherd there. And uh, it's his return to this world as the judge of all that Peter has in mind as he's writing here. And we exercise our leadership in between those two great events and influenced by those two great events. The cross of Christ and the end of time and the coming judgment of Christ. The coming brings accountability. There is an accountability day at the end of days. And we will have to give an account of our lives and we put our trust are we trusting Jesus for our salvation and so on? And as under-shepherds, serving under our great shepherd, our Lord Jesus, we are responsible for our part of the flock that's under our care. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. So it's God's flock, but under our care. Whether it's a church, a small group, scramblers, the creche, women's fellowship, Tuesday group, whatever it is. God's flock and that part of it which is under your care. So we want to be good leaders, don't we? Because we have a big responsibility because it's God's flock. But it's under our care. And we want to help our leaders to be good leaders, don't we? And I want to be the best leader I can be. And I always want to assess how well I've led something. And with God's help to do it next time. Because from time to time, you may think all the time, I botch it up. But I want to improve, I want to get better. Because I'm responsible for my bit of the flock. You. So whoever we are, if you're a leader of anything within here... See your group as part of God's flock. God's flock, your care. And if you're not yet a leader, do pray and be concerned for and help your leader to be the best leader that they can be as they look after the part of God's flock that you're in. So first of all, remember the context. The second thing, we've already touched on this, but we want to make it a a fundamental point here. Remember you're a servant. Remember you're a servant. For instance, the end of verse 2, right at the end there, it says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. I'm here to serve you. It always slightly grates when our small group is doing coffee and they say, no, don't be here. You need to be standing at the door or talking to people because I feel I really ought to be serving coffee with a small group because leaders are servants. I tell the staff here, for instance, we're we're among the first to arrive and the last to leave. Even when we have no specific responsibility within the service, we're leaders, so we're here, serving. There'll be things we can help with. And if you're a children's leader, it may seem slightly odd that you're a, a servant of the children, but you are. Or if you're a small group leader, you're a servant of your small group. That's what you are. 
And if you're a, a small group host, then you're a servant of the small group. If you're a, in on the committee of the women's fellowship or cameo, you're a servant of those groups and so on. We serve. We serve, for instance, by praying for our group members, specifically by name. How about trying it every day? I've told you before about Sheila Rogers. Sheila Rogers was our kids' climbers leader in Lowestoft. Uh, she has had 12 major brain operations. And you wouldn't be able to do it now, but when we were there, she had a photograph of each of the climbers, and every morning she would go down the hall. It was on the hall, uh, on the wall in the hall. She would go down the hall with her stick, or more recently with a Zimmer frame, and she would stand there and pray for our kids and all the others in climbers every morning. First thing she did. What a fantastic example. And leaders, you know, if it's appropriate to do so, we'll offer and we'll arrange lifts. We'll put ourselves out for our group members. Nothing is too much trouble. Our members come first. You know, we were seeing when we had that series of sermons on identity that the, the, the overarching worldview at the moment is, uh, is a radical individualism. Where I am the center of my universe, where I am the most important person ever, when life is all about me, and we see it all over the place, don't we, in adverts and all the rest of it, it's all about me, my looks, my career, my life, I come first. But slightly better leaders put other people first. We put our small groups first. We put our group members first. We put ourselves out for other people. Slightly better leaders ask what we can do to help. Actually, slightly better leaders maybe don't just ask. We just get stuck in and help people anyway. That's what we do. And under this heading of a servant, we need to see the manner of this leadership. Because what they're doing in Peter's day, the shepherds, what were they doing? They protected the flock and they fed the flock or led the flock to where it could be fed. In our, in our context now, this protection of God's flock, God's people, part of God's group that we look after, uh, and the feeding of God's flock, both, is, both of those are actually going to involve the careful teaching of God's word, the Bible. Because the Bible is good food for Christians, isn't it? And so it's our responsibility to make sure that our part of the flock are fed. That's why, for instance, we've got a Bible teacher's evening on a week tomorrow. So that everyone who's involved, or whatever group you're involved with, you're invited to come along and help you to do that better, so you can be slightly better leaders. Maybe that could be your number one application from tonight. I wasn't going to be there, but I'm going to cancel what I was doing, and I will be there. So we can grow in confidence, for instance, in our leading of a Bible study, or doing a, a kid's slot, or preaching a sermon, or whatever it would be. We're shepherds. We're under-shepherds. And shepherds feed the flock and protect the flock. And that means preparation time, doesn't it? I'm always really impressed when people say they need a lot of time to prepare for small group. Because it means you're putting yourself into it. You're taking it seriously. You're not just turning up after two minutes in order to lead it. That kind of thing. That's great. And we need to... You know, I'm, I'm always having to tell myself and having to, to, to say, well, I'm I, every week I deliberately neglect some things. Every week I say, no, I'm not going to go to my emails this morning. 
Because I've got a sermon to preach on Sunday, or if I'm preaching, or if I'm preparing for two weeks' time, friend, I'm trying to get ahead at the moment because of uh, this and that. And, and say, no, I'm not going to do those. I'm not going to do the admin. I'm not going to do the PCC agenda. I'm not going to check the standing committee minutes. Because actually, my main role as a, as a pastor of the flock here is to teach you the Bible and do as well as I can. That's more important than checking the PCC minutes, to be honest. Much more important. What is happening now is a fundamentally important thing in the life of this church. And I need the time to do it. It takes me a long time to prepare sermons. I want them to be as good as they can be, as good as I can do. Because I think I serve you best by teaching the Bible as well as I can. So slightly better leaders. Remember the context, the cross as we look back and the coming as we look ahead. Second, remember you're a servant. Never forget you're a servant if you're a Christian leader. Third, remember the dangers. And there are two dangers that Peter talks about here in in terms of Christian leadership. There are many more than that, but these are two fundamental ones, and they are these. First, money. And second, power. So let's look at money first of all. Now, you may find it surprising that money should be a a trip hazard, if you like, or a danger for Christian leaders. No Christian leader I know gets paid awfully much money. But I'm sure, you know, you hear of prosperity gospel preachers who drive around in flash cars and have private jets, but they're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching lies. But look at the end of verse 2. It says here, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, Peter would not have included that if it wasn't a temptation. If it wasn't a reality that actually there is that temptation to pursue dishonest gain. And it happens. I know vicars have been caught with their hand in the collection box. I know a vicar who's now in prison because he was conducting sham marriages and getting paid thousands of pounds to do so. I know a vicar who, uh, um, who've claimed all sorts of things on his tax return, uh, which is simply dishonest gain. And I know Christian leaders who will only, ex- uh, who will only ex- uh, accept an invitation to speak if the uh, um, uh, ministry gift, if that's what you call it, uh, is good enough. I know of a youth group treasurer who has found out being dishonest and so on. The stories go on. There are temptations all over the show for Christian leaders surrounding money. And money is a temptation for all of us. And Christian leaders have some specific temptations over money. I think sometimes because we're trusted with it and we shouldn't be. You know, that's why, for instance, our, that, um, our procedures here for money are aimed to, to protect the people who deal with the money. So there will always be two people when it's being counted, for instance, and so on. And it's a temptation for all of us. We just need to keep an eye and know that we're all tempted. But Christian leaders are tempted as well in some specific ways here too. So we need to make sure that we, uh, we care for each other and we know the temptations yeah, so, for instance, in a group that you're leading, if there's money involved, there will be temptations. There will be to act inappropriately, dishonestly, 
Don't say they won't be there. They are there. So make sure your procedures protect everyone who deals with money. And then the second thing there is power. Power. Look at verse 3. He talks there. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. That's a desire for power. Another temptation which just leads to a domineering type leader. The bully. I personally have experienced a bullying Christian leader who was my boss once. It's not straightforward when you have to go and get that sorted out. But here's another example. Um, These are in some Bible study notes that uh, a guy called Jeff Lucas um, uh, has written. And he says this. Bitter experience has taught me that bullying leaders ruin churches and blight lives. You don't have to be part of a mind-controlling cult to experience aggressive, controlling leaders. I've come across leaders who demand to be served. People on a discipleship course are told to wash the senior leader's car as a demonstration of a humble heart. I've known other leaders to take it further, insisting that they are anointed, that God sees them as special, and therefore they are wiser and their decisions God-given. They demand to be obeyed as God is obeyed and suggest that disagreeing with them isn't just rebellion against them, it's a rebellion against God himself. Lording it over uh, literally means forcefully ruling over somebody. A bit like um, this, the German forces there in Jersey. That says Lloyd's Bank, by the way and the German forces in Jersey in the Second World War. Well, here, we're meant to be people who will serve. Serve. Are you a leader? Do you domineer? Do you have a domineering leader in your group? Are they controlling? If you are a control freak... You really need to watch yourself. Because you can make it extremely difficult for the people you lead. And I suggest if you are a control freak, make it an absolute priority in your prayer life. That you would recognize it and that you would deal with it for the people who you lead, for their sake. And then number four... Remember you're an example. This is the alternative. This is the antidote to this abuse of power. The implication here is a good example, of course. I mean, we're all examples, but a good example. Leaders are examples. The question is, are you a good or are you a bad example? If you're a leader, think back over last week. Were there times when you were a good example? What were the times when you were perhaps not such a good example? And thank God for the times he helped you to be a good example. And why not pray over the times when you are less than good. This is uh, Dwight Eisenhower, four-star general, Second World War, later president of the United States. He said this, in order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity so how is your integrity are you consistent do you say one thing but then do the opposite and that's really important because if your lifestyle doesn't match up to what you say 
then which you are they going to believe? (laughs) And let me tell you, if your life contradicts your teaching, they'll never believe your teaching. You're just mucking people up. That's why a vicar or a youth leader who goes off with uh, um, someone who isn't his wife does so much damage. And linked to this, linked to this, are you a genuinely good example if the only time people ever see you is in that kind of hour or 90 minutes a week when your group meets? If you're going to be an example, people need to see more of you. Your home, say, the way that you drive, the car that you drive, what your living room looks like, maybe what you're like first thing in the morning or last thing at night. You need to get away with them sometimes, which is why residential things are so good, isn't it? Things like Formark and Woolley. Uh, the women's retreat, going to Keswick and so on. Because we can't be a genuine example unless people can really see what we're really like. Some kind of pedestal ministry where people only see the you you want to project doesn't cut the mustard, does it? So slightly better leaders, slightly better leaders, remember the context, remember the cross, remember the coming. Second, remember you're a servant. Third, Peter says, remember the dangers. In particular here, remember money and remember power. And fourth, remember you're an example. And pray to God that you'll be a good one. We're going to just pause and just have a little bit of quiet. Because there are two questions there. If you're a Christian leader, what can you do in the next 24 hours to be a slightly better leader this next week? If you're not a Christian leader, what can you do in the next 24 hours to encourage a Christian leader you know to be a slightly better leader this next week? Have a think. Have a pray. And then Matt will lead us on.